Before I read, would you please join me in seeking the Lord in prayer? Lord Jesus, this past week we have heard so much talk. We have talked a lot. We've heard others talk a lot. Um, We've heard talk on radio, television, podcasts. We need to hear from you. We need you to speak to us from your word. That you would give us ears to hear and a heart to receive the seed of your word so that we may grow. I pray for my brothers and sisters who undoubtedly have come into these pews with many burdens and concerns, fears, sins. And we thank you that you are sufficient for all of these things. I pray that you would accomplish all your purposes in preaching this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 4. Please give your attention to the word of God. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, He who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Well, the last two Sundays, uh, Peter has been given us commands. You're children of God, therefore expect the grace that will be brought to you at the return of Jesus Christ. Imitate your heavenly Father. Uh, And then he told us to love our brothers and sisters. And then another command he gave us was to be like baby Miles, to crave the milk of God's word. He's not doing any commandments this morning. And now he's telling us who we are. He is talking to the church about her identity. And and by identity, I mean what is fundamentally true about you and how you have to live as a result of that. And you have to remember that in addition to uh, being an apostle, uh, Peter is an elder. He writes this at the end of the letter, your fellow elder. And so he knows that one of the uh, realities of life of the people of God is we often forget exactly who we are. And when you uh, read through uh, church history and you see the church participating in oppression, genocide, murders, all kinds of wickedness, these are moments where the church lost her mind. And she forgot who she was. 
So Peter knows that the people of God need that reminder. Now, the second reason why Peter is writing to us once again, because uh, you remember he started that way, that you are elect, sanctified by the Spirit, sprinkled by the blood of Christ for obedience, he returns to identity once more because he knows that there are other people, institutions, authorities that want to define you. Uh, I get uh, recommendations on my, uh, my Gmail. Listen to these new podcasts. And one of the podcasts is How to Be a Better Human. I am going to check it out. Uh, but what does that sound like? Some authority telling you this is what is fundamentally true about you, human. And here is how to be better. Uh, we get all kinds of sources or authorities that want to tell you who you are. It can be external. Your job can tell you what is fundamentally true about you and what you need to be, even your family. And Peter knows this is a temptation for the people of God. Uh, you remember he writes in chapter 1 that you have been freed from the empty ways passed down by your fathers. And there's also internal things that want to define us, our longings, our desires. Peter says you can't look there either. Remember, you need to resist your former ignorance. Resist the lust that belong to your old life. So who gets to define you? What, uh, what or who has the authority to tell you this is what is fundamentally true about you? And this is how you need to live. Uh, here's the, the reality about that, right? That builds up there. You know the answer. You knew as soon as I started going through who should not be in the position to define you, your brain said at some point this preacher is obviously going to get to Jesus Christ. And that's the easy thing about church. <laughs> Knowing the answer is very easy. But living by it, trusting it, resting in Jesus, well, that's the difficulty. And that's why Peter is doing those reminders because he knows, as you get to in chapter 3, that there are wives who have unbelieving husbands. And so, how does she get defined? By her unbelieving husband. As one who is causing trouble in her marriage because she has forsaken the idols of her husband to serve the Lord Jesus. Peter is writing to slaves. And I should add that if the word slavery in the Bible, if this is kind of cringy for you, please come and talk to me after the service. I would love to talk to you about it. Uh, but he's writing to slaves. That sounds like something that can define you. And he says to slaves, uh, don't let your masters or your low position define you. You need to look to Jesus Christ. As I said, knowing the right answer to those rhetorical questions from the pulpit is really easy. But we are called to live by this, to look to Jesus. And we see that uh, it's not only the, the church that needs to look to Jesus Christ to figure out who we are. Uh, Peter actually presents this uh, act of God in Christ as defining everyone and everything. That what God has done in Jesus Christ is not something that uh, only happens in a little spiritual corner for spiritual folk. But by, by God bringing Christ out of death, vindicating him before all in the resurrection, that he indeed is precious before the Lord, seating him at the right hand 
This means everyone is defined by Christ. He is this cornerstone. And so our incredibly diverse, complex, multifaceted world with all different kinds of people get lumped into two buckets. First bucket, because you believe in the cornerstone, you are experiencing shame now, but ahead of you is glory. And the second bucket is, you're experiencing glory now, but because you do not believe in the cornerstone, you will face shame. And, and Peter is, is getting this uh, from the Lord Jesus. Uh, he remembers Jesus telling uh, a story that taught this very point. So you remember Matthew 21. Jesus tells this story about a landowner, a powerful man, he's got money, resources. And so he purchases a nice piece of land, puts a vineyard in it, wine press, a tower. And so he hires some vine dressers to make sure that when harvest comes, the fruit will be ready. But while these vine dressers are working in this landowner's property, uh, they get this idea that, you know what, this fruit should belong to us. This harvest, this land, this should be ours. And so the harvest time comes and the landowner sends his servants to reap what is his. And they beat the servant up. And then the landowner sends a, another servant and they kill that servant. And so the landowner has a good idea. I will send my son. Surely they'll respect my son. You know, if I sent maybe a servant, if I had a servant, it would be terrible. If I had a servant and I sent a servant to our brother Damien, and he didn't really like what the servant was saying, he would feel a little bit more comfortable voicing his disagreement or rejection uh, as opposed to if I sent my son. I know this is Hunter's son, so maybe I should be careful about how I word this. And this is the logic of the landowner. I'm going to send my son. But the vine dressers say, we will kill the son and take his inheritance. And that's what they do. And so Jesus asked the chief priests and the elders, as he's telling this story, what do you think the landowner is going to do? And the chief priests and elders very sure of themselves say, oh, Jesus, isn't the answer so obvious? They're going to destroy, the, the landowner will destroy those wicked men, crush them. And Jesus says, here in this hypothetical scenario, you get it. But here you are, standing right before the cornerstone, and you are rejecting me. God has sent the cornerstone into the world, and you have this great privilege to be able to see me in the flesh, and you are rejecting me. You will be those crushed by the stone. And so Peter uh, takes those, that same psalm, Psalm 118, as well as Isaiah 8, 26, 43, what we read, uh, Exodus 19, which we'll look at later. And he says it's the same thing for the church today. To be aware that God is building his kingdom through Jesus Christ. He is the foundational stone. And everyone must respond to Jesus Christ. That's in verse 6 and verse 8. You must believe in him so that you will not be put to shame. Of course, with the reverse being, if you reject him, you will be put to shame. In verse 8, if you reject the cornerstone, 
He will not be one that gives you identity, stability, promise. But he will be a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Because God has made Christ the cornerstone, this gives us a couple of assurances. One, we know that the church will grow. And that's something that we struggle with. We think, particularly here on the East Coast, everybody is so secular and grumpy. Surely the church is going to get smaller and smaller. But this is not what the Word of God says. The church will continue to grow because God is at work. It's in verse 4. We are being built up a spiritual house. And nothing can stop what God is building. We're also uh, encouraged to know that we will not be defeated. You know, you think about for these Christians that Peter is writing to, they are very, very small. They're tiny. uh, And they are being told that God's building project will triumph. And that's exactly what happens. I mean, none of these uh, uh, people who are originally receiving this letter from Peter couldn't imagine that, that in the not too distant future that Christianity would overturn the empire. I mean, that's just not something they would expect. But it was promised and it was fulfilled. This is what a cornerstone provides. Stability. You pick a cornerstone because we need something that can hold the weight to support the structure. And the cornerstone also gives a promise that it will be uh, completed. Right? If, a, if a builder picked his cornerstone and didn't build on it, uh, eventually one of us would say, what was the purpose of picking the cornerstone? You didn't pick it to leave it by itself. You, you, you wanted to build. And because the Father has made Jesus Christ the cornerstone, he will build. And we should rejoice that we get to participate in it. And you would rejoice more if we could make sure that we don't, that we don't shrink all the church growth that we're looking for to here in the States. But if we continue to rejoice about what the gospel is doing across the world, we will take great delight What is going on? But the cornerstone defines you as well. The cornerstone sets the agenda for all the other stones. All the other stones that would be gathered uh, must match and complement the cornerstone. And this is how Peter envisions Christians coming to understand who they are. Uh, to, To not ask... Uh, those identity questions. What would other people think of me? What do other people expect of me? What do I feel like doing? In order to find your identity, Peter doesn't envision Christians in periods of self-reflection or asking themselves these questions, but in worship. I really want you to hear that. Peter is writing to these these Christians that by worshiping Jesus Christ, you come to know who you are. Uh, It's in verse 4. I'm going to ask you to kind of put your your seminary hats on and be a little nerdy with me for a bit. But in verse 4, that Greek under it uh, for coming can refer to physical presence. We have arrived. You arrived at this building. 
But we have to remember that uh, Peter is writing to the church and saying that you are coming to Jesus Christ. And though uh, Jesus is certainly believed, confessed, and followed in Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, he is not physically there. So that's that second use of the Greek word. This idea of approaching or drawing near for worship. Uh, The author of Hebrews uh, uses this a lot. This is uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, describing the priest approaching God. It's the same word. Verse 22, later in the chapter, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. This is chapter 4, verse 16, come boldly to the throne of grace. So what Peter is saying is that when the church assembles and comes to worship the risen Christ, she finds out who she is. That's why uh, Peter has this Christian identity transition. So verse 4, coming to the living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. And then where does verse 5 start? You also. That as you come and worship the Lord Jesus, there is this movement that as the Lord Jesus was rejected by men, but vindicated by the Lord, I will experience rejection in this life, but I also will be vindicated by the Father. As the Lord Jesus was precious in the sight of God, because I am united to him and belong to him, I am precious in the sight of God. And friends, that should move us to such thankfulness. The only way that you could be unaffected by being told that you are precious in the sight of God is being far too impressed with yourself already. To to have Jesus Christ and to stand before the Lord in His righteousness, knowing that you are valued by the Father, is a wonderful And we come to to, to learn about this and to know this and rejoice in it, not by asking questions, but worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Hearing uh, through the preaching of the word what he has done for us. Being fed in the sacrament. Being led in worship by the Lord Jesus. It is this worship that defines you. And this is in a point distinct uh, to Peter. We see this all throughout the Old Testament, particularly the Psalms. Here's the psalmist talking about the nations who worship uh, other sources besides God. Their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. Do you hear that? That what you worship defines you. That what you are in awe of, that what you cannot do without, this defines you. Uh, you know, and so uh, it could be said, well, that's, that's just kind of like Christian logic, that whatever you would worship would define you. No, that's existence. Man was created to worship God. This is how Adam figured out what he was supposed to be doing by opening his ear and leading it to the Lord. 
Who am I? What am I supposed to do? And so because that is so rooted in our humanity, we cannot escape from the desire to look to external or internal sources to figure out who we are. I want to worship career, pleasure, being loved by people, being cheered on, having comfort. And as you worship those things, they define you. And Peter is urging us, urging you this morning, stop looking to things outside. Stop taking your ear off and putting it close to your heart. Come and worship the Lord Jesus. Boys and girls, I'd like to talk to you for a second. And I would say the thrust of what I would like to talk to you about is don't make the mistake that I made. A lot of your friends, classmates, and people your age are in a little bit of a dilemma right now. Uh, The dilemma is they're trying to figure out who they are. They have no clue. And so they're looking to people who are popular. Or if I could be like them, that's who I am. They're listening to maybe what their teachers are saying or what they want to be. And so then maybe if they're really lucky, they'll acquire it and they'll be successful in those things. And then in like four years or three years, they'll lose themselves again because they'll be in a new location with new people, with new responsibilities. And that old identity won't work. And that's going to be their life again and again and again until they're my age still changing who they are, still uncertain about what they're supposed to do, why they are here on the earth. And the good news, boys and girls, is you don't have to participate in that. Jesus Christ has secured your identity for you. That doesn't mean you won't grow and develop new interests. You might decide, hey, I actually like turtleneck sweaters at some point. But fundamentally, you will know who you are, that you are precious in the eyes of the Lord, and that you have been called to be a priest, to give your whole lives to the Lord, and everything you do to be seeking His glory, to serve Him. And that won't shake or bend like the other identities your friends might be going after. And so I'm also not saying that for you to look down on them and say, oh, if only you were a priest like me. Love them. Serve them. Speak of the truth of the gospel but you don't have to participate in the struggle that they are in. Uh, Parents or adults, uh, maybe that identity crisis is not too far from you as well. Maybe you also are looking around at others or you have some timeline that by this age I needed to accomplish this, this, and that. Be reminded that that you are exactly uh, what you have been called to be in Christ. Uh, not in you know, the checklist that we create as what we would define as a good life. In worshiping Christ, we come to find who we are, who we, how we need to live. And there's two aspects of this that Peter highlights. He calls us stones and priests. And he, he's not insulting us by calling us rocks. I know that can be an insult, but that's not what he means. So we're stones. And I think there's a, a, a thing that can often be downplayed. It's very easy in the church uh, to make uh, somebody expendable. 
right? That there's people who come and they worship who we don't really need around. The Corinthian church does this. Uh, The poor, those who don't have spiritual gifts, those who are uneducated. And Paul writes to them and says, no, it's these weaker members, these fellow stones who you think you can just easily get rid of, you need to give them glory, you need to give them honor, you need to uphold them because they belong to you. You are united to Christ, that is your brother or sister, and so too, uh, friends, you have to remember that it's not just the pretty stones that are valued and must be present in worship, who truly bless the church, but it's the poor stones, the weak and sick stones, the uneducated stones, the stones with illnesses and difficulties, they matter And if you don't value them, you would be saying something that the Lord is saying is precious. You would be saying, "Eh, precious before the Lord. And the other thing that stones must do, friends, is to stick together, to be present. You know, if you were uh, with a realtor and you were looking around at houses and you find this really nice place and the agent says there's a little bit of a structural issue with this house. Uh, You see, uh, on Sunday, from this time to this time, these bricks really stick close together. But all throughout the week, they try to get as far apart from one another as possible. So the house isn't as firm or as strong as it might appear. And I hope that sounded so silly. Because it's equally silly for us to think that we don't need to be together. That as fellow stones, we don't need to be in each other's lives holding each other up to be strong. There's probably two difficulties with that. Some stones who don't want to get close, and some stones who are afraid to have others come close to them, to rejoice with them, to weep with them. And both must be rejected so that we can be what God has purchased us to be in Christ. Earlier I was mentioning the verses that Peter had used Passages in Isaiah and the Psalms. And towards the end, he uses Exodus 19. I'm going to read it. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Well, we know uh, that... Later, the Lord will establish the Levitical priesthood uh, that will guard the tabernacle and then the temple and will also bring in uh, the animal sacrifices. But notice that when he's speaking to his people, the assembled uh, Israel, they are all a nation of priests. Those who have trades would be priests. Those who uh, would be in the home with their children would be priests. The whole nation was supposed to do everything with an eye towards the Lord. Everything with worship and service. And this is what Peter is saying to the church today. Obviously with the the caveat of it being spiritual. Thankfully, uh, none of you as you are coming in brought a a goat or a bull for sacrifice. Some of you may have brought grain, but it was maybe for a snack for your children, not grain offerings. Uh, But we still come and, and bring these spiritual sacrifices. We bring our worship. We pray as we uh, listen to 
others pray. We pray with them and we ask the Lord to hear their request. And this is what Peter has been telling us to do this whole time. Be set apart as priests. Do not follow the ways of your fathers. Be holy as the Lord is holy. And that comes from Leviticus. To be like the Lord. To not love like the world. To desire God's word. We are to be priests. That's what you're to do this upcoming week. When you go to work. Go to work in worship and in service. Because you're a priest. When you're in the home. Worship in the home. Serve in the home. Because you are a priest. In all things you are to be rendering your life. As Paul writes to the church in Rome. As a living sacrifice. This is who you are. None of you. um, None of you this week. Will try to go into. Day after day. Without any bread. Or food. Or water. Or sleep. And why is that? Because I'm a human. I need food. I need water. I need sleep. Would you go into this week not thinking you need to worship the Lord Jesus? Would you go into this week thinking you don't need to serve your neighbor, your brothers and sisters? You are called to be a priest. And so, enter your week giving thanks to the Lord for all that He has done for you. And being like Him in every area of life. Let's pray. Lord, at times we can be so dull and miss the great identity that we have. Prevent us from making such a huge mistake. Thank you for shedding your blood for us. Bringing us out of sin and death and elevating us to be fellow stones, to be priests. Give us strength for our calling this week. That we may not weary you with our, obedi- our disobedience, but that we may bring you glory with our obedience. I pray this in Jesus' name.